I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Why? We tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. Your desecration of reality. was the only way. But I never meant for any of this to happen. Wanda. Oh, I knew sooner or later you'd show up. I made mistakes and people were hurt. I'm not here to talk about Westview. Then what are you here for? I'm not here to talk about Westview. I'm not here to talk about Westview. I need your help. With what? What do you know about the multiverse? I never meant for this to happen. You cannot control everything. You brought this on yourself. You break the rules and become a hero. I do it and I become the enemy. I'm not here to talk about Westview. This doesn't seem fair. Strange! Go, go, go! Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. APG-13. Be the first to see the mind-bending phenomenon in premium large format and IMAX tomorrow. I'm not here to talk about Westview. This summer, he's not here to talk about Westview. Order tickets now from Fandango. With us to thread our way through this tangled web of alternate realities, we have Jesse Ferguson of the Recorded Tomorrow podcast. Yes, I'm aware of the custom. And friend of the show, Chris Finnick. This is me. Being reasonable. (laughs) Now, often I have a sizable written piece before each film that we cover. Sometimes I don't have anything immediate to say, trusting that it will come out in the back and forth. But this time, this time around, what I have to say is fairly epic. If I were a YouTuber, this would be like the big annual event video. So bear with me. And thank you to our guests who are going to be listening along with you folks for about half an hour before we get to chew over the rest of the film. And here we (laughs) go. So back when Multiverse released in cinemas, I was trying to get my head wrapped around the final episode of Moon Knight, and 11 hours later, I was sat in the theater for this. The fact that both of them deal with someone in at least two minds about indescribable unresolved grief made it even more of a mental juggling act. And when Sharon saw it later that day after she finished work, she came back fuming for reasons you can probably intuit. So. We've had a few months to ponder, and now it's on Disney Plus, and we rewatched it twice, as well as rewatching the entirety of WandaVision, which I heartily suggest, folks. Responses to Doctor Strange 2 were polarizing. One crowd came out raving after a hugely fun experience as Sam Raimi got to unleash both his Spider Man comic book stylings upon his favorite Marvel character 
and unexpectedly grisly and intense sprinkling of horror, keeping the strange series consistent with the angle that horror director Scott Derrickson established in 2016. To many, it was an unalloyed delight watching Sam work his impish charms in a bright, colourful pair of worlds and one nightmarish grey hellscape. And another crowd were thrown by how characters beloved and new were handled. In early 2021, WandaVision was exactly what so many of us needed after a year of lockdown. It played with the new TV format and it was a story about grief and ultimately realizing that your life isn't going to go the way you thought it was is something that is twinned with grief and it's something that we were all dealing with. And for many of us, there were actually genuine deaths on the table, even if we weren't necessarily directly connected to those deaths primary issue with a lot of people is that there seemed to be a disparity between what Wanda went through in those nine episodes, especially where she was left at the end, and how she begins this film and where she goes from there. And re-watching Multiverse, now especially on Disney+, Plus, which is in immediate proximity to WandaVision, it does feel like there is a big chunk of connective tissue that just does not exist to bring us from A to C. Some experienced an exhaustion with seeing the same kind of cautionary tale about a woman with too much power and the awful things that happen as a seemingly inevitable result, the sort of glowering, chaotic, violent and murderous mutant magic flung out of a crazy red-headed lady that we already saw in two Dark Phoenixes, three Carries and a Firestarter remake. And there's validity in that. Denying women true power has been the chorus of history. A chorus that needed to change a long time ago, and there's been quite a bit of pushback on that. Additionally, there's a continuous fascination with seeing people with terrifying power go bad. Hence, the psychotic Superman examples in modern times outnumbering the inherently decent Superman. As though we cannot bring ourselves to trust and why should we when we keep seeing supreme power abused in the real world and everyday people suffer as a result? It was frustrating to see Wanda take Stephen to verbal task regarding the disparity between the responses to a woman's power and a man's, primarily because after this line, that uh, doesn't seem fair line, which was delivered impeccably, that theme is never revisited over two hours of crash bang wallop. But also, much like the weird setup of that kill all dinosaurs or save all dinosaurs button at the end of Jurassic World 2, while the principle is sound, the model we're presented with is flawed and mismatched. Nobody came for Steven for his part in Infinity War because he disappeared in deep space along with half of everyone else. Nobody came after him after Spider-Man No Way Home because reasons, and he had already been demoted to assistant to the Sorcerer Supreme by the apparently unseen bigwigs at Camotage. Sword came for Wanda because she broke into their facility, stole something that they would immediately want back, flew to a small town and prompted a siege situation with added reality warping that we watched seemingly in real time. But she ended it. She spared Agatha, and while everybody hated her for those manipulations, they were at least alive at the end. Her retreat at the close was absolutely positioned as a way of removing herself from other people so that she could allow time, space, and solitude to grieve. 
And apparently, according to the Kuleshov effect, a part of her, clad in scarlet, was also combing the cursed book, The Darkhold, looking for ways to get her imaginary children back, and learning that they weren't imaginary at all, and finding out about the multiverse, and finding out about one unique one-off girl able to leap between universes, and deciding to hunt that girl down, and deciding to take her power so that she, Wanda, could leap to a universe where her boys exist in happy harmony with the alternate version of herself there, and kill that version of Wanda, and play Susie Homemaker forever, unless one of the kids dies by accident in a way that she can't fix, in which case she will abandon ship, etch a sketch that universe, and jump to a new universe, rinse and repeat. See what I mean about that B being missing between the A and the C? Put like that, it is rather understandable to perceive this as Wanda being done dirty. There's also the subtext of a white suburban lady who will literally sacrifice a young Latina girl in order to preserve her illusion of blissful American domesticity. And that is a symbolism with teeth. But it only really bites hard if we get to know America herself and she becomes more than just symbolic. And aside from being scared of bees and missing her moms, or if you're in Saudi Arabia or China or the Philippines, her parents, which Stephen keeps saying over and over again, we don't actually know all that much about her when the movie ends. I said to Sharon when we were watching it the third time, you know, if she was just the book of, what was it called? Ashanti. The book of doobly-doo. If she was that and Strange was trying to stop Wanda from getting that, it would be like, we've got to worry about all of the multiverses that this book represents, the thread holding all of this together. But because we're just thinking about it in terms of it being America, it's like, I would really like to know this girl. She seems lovely, but we just don't. Uh, we know that she's young, <laughs> gifted, and female, and that she likes pizza, which are three things that can be conveyed in a single image of America eating pizza with a star-shaped portal at her back, and Sam Raimi's more than capable of photographing that. So a lot of folks found the film to be the usual blend of customary Disney dismissiveness. Progressive, unless you don't like that. Inclusive, but stingy with the spotlight. Hard-hitting, but only in subtext. Emotionally explorative, but that goes out the window when action starts to happen. And a big reason a lot of people might be feeling uncomfortable about this film is a lack of weight and permanence. At least from where we stand now, this is probably going to date in years to come, and who knows what the future will bring, but we can take an educated guess based on past decisions. In this regard, it reminds me of a pair of Marvel's past director spotlight features. Iron Man 3 was absolutely a Shane Black joint, and you might remember how infuriated I was that the PTSD <laughs> that Tony is clearly suffering from in Act 1 is forgotten and abandoned in Act 3, hand-waved away. He makes a grand gesture to Pepper, he gives up being Iron Man, and then at the end says, I am Iron Man, even going so far as to remove the arc reactor from his chest as they rolled a victory lap reel montage of the three Iron Man movies at the end, celebrating a full five-year run at Marvel only to have the MCU course correct in the next Avengers film, 2015's Age of Ultron, where his deep anxiety clearly had not been addressed, which actually works into the plot in unspoken subtextual fashion, as he crafts a weapon to protect the world and thus endangers it in the process, going on to be Iron Man for many more years, including Civil War, Homecoming, Infinity War, and Endgame. What we were seeing was contract negotiations happening in metatextual fashion. 
And then there was Thor Ragnarok, where Taika Waititi shook the hell out of Asgard, at least the version that we've seen in past films, and took the Odin son on a long, painful journey, which was absolutely continued by the Russo brothers in Infinity War and Endgame, but not without some course correction there as well on several elements, like his costume came back, his hair came back, his hammer came back, his missing eye, his newfound responsibility to keeping the people of Asgard safe was a bit and never letting him remain fat and depressed on screen without someone taking a pop at him every 30 seconds. For years, I have loved and engaged with Marvel's ability to improvise responses from film to film in a way that keeps the characters consistent and growing, in a way that feels organic and natural. It seems planned, but it's just really good reaction. Some of the arcs have been amazing. Stark, Rogers, Parker, Nebula while some have been muddled or problematic or have gone back on themselves. Romanov, Quill, Danvers, Carter, no, not that one, but also that one. And Sharon pointed out yesterday what the key to why Wanda's arc feels like the latter rather than the former. After Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame, Sharon and I can absolutely buy the events of WandaVision or alternatively, we can also absolutely buy the events of Multiverse of Madness. Both work well as an aftermath to Infinity War Endgame at what they're attempting in the milieu that they are attempting it. However, they don't necessarily work with each other. Experienced sequentially, on many levels they actively contradict one another. In the eyes of many, it didn't make emotional sense or even logistical sense that Wanda would go through the Westfield incident the way we saw her wrestling for control while she confused terrified townspeople and the version of Vision drawn from her own mind implored her to let everyone go free. And then she manages that. And then she has to say goodbye again alone in that room. And that was actually something that, that I kept thinking when, when Wanda was having to say goodbye to everybody at the end. She's she's hugging her children, but she's not. She's holding vision, but she's not. She was there in that house on her own. And then she retreats to heal in private. And then the hunting of a child begins. The news that Sam Raimi didn't see WandaVision, the same as our beloved James Gunn didn't watch Birds of Prey before shooting Harley Quinn's third escapade, The Suicide Squad, galled and grated. Now, much as I personally love the Raimi flourishes that we saw here, this decision on his part to not see WandaVision struck me as potentially having two driving factors. One, he didn't really care, which makes him the wrong director for this film, or Two, he did care, but he didn't want someone else's story to impact on the one that he wanted to tell. Which makes him an awkward fit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. If you watch the moment that she busts in on Vision at S.W.O.R.D. headquarters in WandaVision, demanding a chance to effectively say goodbye to the body of her loved one, someone that she felt an unnameable connection to due to the Mind Stone, it is played very similarly here as she talks about the boys that she feels so connected to despite having never really met them in real life. To wonder, what we consider illusions are real and Elizabeth Olsen plays that fantastically. But I couldn't help but feel that she was repeating the same scene and not moving forward at all. Like we got a TV version all about her with over four hours to grow closer 
and then a repeat performance for the big screen that purported to be about Stephen, but wasn't really, and with half the time allotted to explore very similar principles and with a far less satisfying ending. All that said, this disparity between TV and film can't just be heaped on Sam Raimi, who did a great job making a fun, engaging, cross-dimensional romp. The higher-ups at Marvel, including Kevin Feige, clearly had Wanda's dark descent in mind for many years. Well, Bob Chipman predicted it the moment Elizabeth Olsen was cast as a support player in Stephen's second film. Dark, witchy Wanda remains in line with the 616 universe. Oh, sorry, that's the Marvel comic continuity that began with Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four in November 1961, expanding with the crucial input of Steve Ditko and Stan Lee to Spider-Man, the X-Men, Doctor Strange. This decades-spanning comic continuity is most definitely not to be confused with the 616 universe that is now apparently the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Because in the history of numbers, they couldn't possibly pick any other. Like, I don't know, 2008, the year that Iron Man launched? <laughs> or as it's been called in the... There was an Iron Man coffee table book where it was referred to as Earth 199999, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. <laughs> but it was called yeah. that unofficially by fans for many years. Though, it has been worth noting that if you do your digging, there have been references to numbers 616 in Thor The Dark World, the second season of Iron Fist, for as much as that matters, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home. Even the, uh, that's the one that Mysterio literally says, that your, your universe is 616, so they're actually keeping continuity with this mistake error. Even the otherwise almost entirely perfect Into the Spider-Verse classifies Miles's world as 1610, the exact same number as the comic book Ultimate Continuity, where Miles first turned up. And we are not alone in being annoyed by this numerical flub, whether it was continuously an intentional flub or not. It makes talking about multiverses, which nerds like to do, across different media more difficult, to the point where the designation numbers become a hindrance, not a help. Iman Vellani, the actress who plays Ms. Marvel, regularly texts Kevin Feige to scold him for this, and she is right to do so. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> She's awesome. So, anyway, Multiverse of Madness from the 616 Cinematic Universe remains in line with the 616 Comic Universe, which is no relation, wherein Wanda was married to Vision. She created some doubly fictional children, so fiction within fiction. Then she to was told that the kids were imaginary. She went crazy. She killed Vision. She killed Hawkeye for some reason. And she disassembled the Avengers in just four short issues. Like, they... they Shut this baby out with the bathwater really fast. It was barely an event, Avengers Disassembled. They were in a rush to get to all new Avengers, uh, written by um, Brian Michael Bendis. Then, a while later, while the other heroes got together to decide whether to kill her or not, she responded by creating the alternate universe of the House of M, also written by Brian Michael Bendis, whom I really like as a writer, but he's made some decisions which have pissed a lot of people off. So this is a world, House of M is a world where mutants were actually respected, even celebrated, rather than hated and feared. All of uh, Wanda's friends got their heart's desires. Peter Parker was married to Gwen Stacy. Carol Danvers had moved from Ms. Marvel to Captain Marvel. Steve Rogers was an old, old man, a World War II veteran, nearly a hundred, who took no part in the proceedings, presided over by her father Magneto. 
It was all eventually undone by Wolverine, Logan, who, ironically, remembered everything. His heart's desire was to remember everything, which unfortunately included Earth 616, comics not movies. With reality restored, Wanda then snapped her fingers and did away with the vast majority of mutant powers in the world, so, and then she left only 198 mutants still retaining their gifts on the globe. That then got undone years later by the Phoenix Force, which restored everyone's powers. This is what Marvel do. So, like, when Chris Claremont wrote the Phoenix Saga, Phoenix destroyed a whole galaxy. Like, she destroyed the planet of the Asparagus people or something like that. And then it turned out, oh, she actually, when she died, she wasn't actually Jean Grey. She was the Phoenix Force who had taken Jean Grey's form. And then Madeline Pryor came, and she wasn't actually Jean Grey. She was a clone of Jean Grey, and then she and Cyclops had babies. And then Jean Grey came back and had been asleep the whole time. So it, it's... it's Sounds like Parallax. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like Parallax. <laughs> Considering comic history, Wanda's Darkest Hour sort of made sense, and fans were leaning into the idea of Wanda being instrumental for changing the reality of the movies, especially as it pertained to the presence of mutants. After the Fox merger, it was a kind of a, okay, so when's Wanda going to make this canonically? We've now put the Fox <laughs> folks in. Now, the writer of Multiverse of Madness is a man named Michael Waldron. He was a writer and executive producer for Loki, and also wrote and produced an episode of Rick and Morty. Presumably, Michael did see WandaVision, he just didn't let it stop him turning Wanda into the version of herself that they needed in order for this movie to go the way they wanted, and something that was most likely decided upon years ago, maybe even before WandaVision was on the table. It, it, it occurred to me that this was something that they'd been planning to do with Wanda for a while, but they put WandaVision on the table as a, well, maybe we could give... Elizabeth and Paul their own show and kind of gear up for this so it doesn't just come quite so out of nowhere. It's almost like the makers of WandaVision did too good a job. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, uh, I feel like part of why this whole thing feels more uncomfortable is that we can sense Marvel gearing up to walk it back in a future production Phoenix style. Put it like this, if in the fourth Tom Holland Spider-Man film, that would be A New Home or something, we get the Venom Saga, as was hinted in that stinger, leaving a little symbiote in uh, the 616, that's uh, movies and TV, not comics. Imagine Peter, after losing so much that he has done so far, gets the black suit and then starts going insane and killing X-Men before we've even really met them. So Rogue gets her neck broken, Gambit gets drowned in black web fluid and Deadpool gets fed into a mangle. Also, Peter Parker in the black suit literally executes all of the new mutants and a bunch of Asgardians. And at the end, he sees the error of his ways, tries to save the day and is crushed to death under falling masonry, just trying to contain the black suit. Viewers, I think, could be forgiven for being a little miffed at that being a direction they took the character in. But like yep. folks who watch Marvel movies had trouble getting past Peter Quill's outburst messing everything up in Infinity War, while Dr. Stephen Strange was standing off-camera to the left, holding Thanos tight with the Crimson Bands of Sitarak, which I realised are actually connected to the Juggernaut, and allowing all of this calamity to happen. But you could also bet that if Peter Parker died after his mountainous crimes in the black suit, he would be coming back alive, and everything will be blamed on the corrupting effects of the black costume. 
equilibrium is restored, and Marvel carries on as always. And it feels like we now know full well that they do this, and we've just accepted it as part of comic and comic-adjacent long-form storytelling. That, <clears throat> that leaves me, and I would imagine many others, troubled by how this is going to get unpicked. Raimi is not the director I personally would have selected for this project, regardless of his enthusiasm, principally because this film is nowhere near sad and quiet enough, despite the subject matter. It is angry and chaotic and exciting, with Raimi playing his part as a gleeful monster maker. And I don't believe I've ever seen Sam capable of hitting those key emotional beats and making them feel real and impactful, for me at least. This is unlike, say, my dream director for Doctor Strange, Del Toro. And now I want a Guillermo incarnation of Doctor Strange and a Raimi version of Nightmare Alley. But... Regardless of what I feel, Sam made a lot of cinema goers happy, nonetheless, with what Sharon described as the most Raimi Raimi that Sam had ever Raimied. And we're definitely going to be talking about that later. In the positive. But let me just lay down a minor rewrite, which is what happens when my editor brain just cannot get off sticking points like the origin of Stephen in Moon Knight or the three-film cut of The Hobbit, originally a two-film deal helmed by Guillermo del Toro. To my mind, the easiest slight adjustment to the script that needed to be done in order to make everything in this film run swimmingly is to have two wonders. One from 616, Movies and TV Not Comics. That's the one that we saw all the way through WandaVision, who, in my rewrite, begins the movie in a place of sadness and depression. But the bargaining denial and anger of Westview has passed and she is on her way to acceptance. And then there's another wonder whose Westview incident did not end so bittersweetly. Let's say she's from Earth 617. This version of Wanda actually killed her version of Agatha when she took the Darkhold for herself, rather than just turning her back into Randy, unfulfilled, closeted bisexual Agnes, always spoiling for a threesome with her gorgeous neighbors. If you remember that moment where the white vision held Wanda's head in his hands and then started to crush, and she was saved at the last second by Vision. What if he had been delayed by a few more seconds and the White Vision had actually done some damage? 617's Wanda also fought much more bitterly with Monica Rambeau, who did escape alive, which allows her to confer that anger towards her mother. But three sword agents and Dottie, whose real name was Sarah, also died. And having gone through all of that and killing Agatha last, Wanda had crossed a line. Remember at the end of WandaVision, in a remote rural cottage, we actually see what could be interpreted as both of these wonders. The breadth of a shadow apart, one of them dressed in regular clothes trying to live, and the other, tarted up as the fabulous Scarlet Witch, sat floating cross-legged and fixated on the book, hearing her kids calling out for help. Which I was going to say is weirdly similar to Shang-Chi's father Wen Wu hearing a demon dragon pretending to be his wife crying out for help so that he'd open a door and the dragon could get out. But let's forget that detail because this movie definitely did. 
I, I think honestly it was just more just the flashbacks of having to see these children start to disintegrate in front of her, which I think Agatha very cruelly manipulated to, to she start happening. She starts opening up the hex, yeah. and obviously that makes them and Vision start to fall apart. So the kids cried out for her help, and that's stuck in Wanda's head like a, a splinter of glass. Now it is established that there is only one America Chavez, so angry Wanda gets a bead on her and tries to drag her into world 617. America escapes to 616 at the beginning of this film with ponytail Stephen Strange getting killed in the process. Then knowing where she pitched up in 616, that's movies not comics, angry Wanda dreamwalks, puppeteers right into sad Wanda's head and manipulates her through every scene in this movie. I was alerted to this possibility when Steven said in Pizza Ball's world to Pizza Ball's Wanda before he floods the room that he hopes the other version of herself, other Wanda, can hold her breath. This is the one that was trapped under the rubble. Now, he only wants to dissuade the invading Wanda. He doesn't want to kill the body she's stolen. This all began to feel a little deadites from uh, Evil Dead. I would have loved for Sad Wonder to keep wrestling for control throughout the film. So it's like kind of a Gollum Smeagol thing, only we really felt for Smeagol and we really saw that she wanted to not be doing this and that she was horrified by what Angry Wonder's doing. But at the same time, recognizing that somewhere deep down in her, there is a part of her that wanted to do something like this anyway. And so she's disgusted with herself and trying her absolute best, screaming from the sunken place to get back control. Sad Wanda should be instrumental in stilling angry Wanda. Stilling. Which, by the way, is what sadness does to anger when you let it in. And the bit in the film we actually saw at the end when she finally gets to her boys and they're cowering behind the stairs, frightened of her, the line they deliver is don't hurt us. Which makes her pause. I would change their positioning within the scene and their line to have them rushing over to guard Joyful Wanda, whom Angry Wanda has thrown to the ground. And even though they're little boys who can't do anything to stop this rampaging force invading their home, they cover and protect her and say, don't hurt our mum. And Angry Wanda stares at them and murmurs, but I am your mum. And that's what breaks her. Then, angry and sad Wanders, assisted by this third frightened Wanda, could work together to destroy the Darkhold across every universe. Angry Wanda dies from the effort of it because she's having to stretch herself across multiple other Wanders, trying to get rid of this hold. And so she dies from the effort of it, but she does so knowing that part of her exists as a mother, and another part is going to be okay, alone. And if you like what I did there, I really do recommend you listen to the New Century Multiverse. After all of this school of movies for years and years, I've gotten fairly good at crafting third acts. As it stands, Wanda's story far eclipses Stevens within his own movie. And of the six film appearances that he's made, Doctor Strange, Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame, Far From Home, Multiverse of Madness. His best arc has actually been the one in the What If episode. The question of whether he made the right call in Infinity War does get voiced once in this movie. 
and never revisited again. And rather than a journey from his arrogant, aggressive combativeness, because he is a dick to wander at the beginning, and his hostility doesn't de-escalate. If anything, it makes everything so much worse. That's something he needs to grow the fuck out of. And yet it still doesn't feel cohesive with how compassionate he was in Far From Home. He's a healer, after all. He's a doctor. He chose this profession. But in Multiverse, his journey is learning when to delegate and let someone else hold the knife and make the big decision, which is baseline progress of a sort, but it's somewhat marred by Wong already being Sorcerer Supreme, while Strange is assistant to the Sorcerer Supreme. Here's another thing that I like and wasn't explored. Wanda has these kids in seemingly lots of universes, but there's that jump in age where they went from four to nine in WandaVision. This would line up with her disappearing for five years when they didn't and the three of them living on without vision together. So the Westview incident probably wouldn't have happened in a lot of timelines. And that leads me to a much bigger question. The reason I bought on Jesse, who helped me to map out my own multi-dimensional time travel <laughs> book, Back in Time Plus Space, what was Doctor Strange looking at in Infinity War when he said he was scanning possible timelines if the multiverse did not exist before the Loki show? And Loki shouldn't exist yet because that version of Loki hadn't even been sent back in time yet. They had to go back in time to back it. You know what I mean. That that version of Loki had just been killed by Thanos. More to the point, where were the Avengers jumping through the quantum realm to in Endgame, if not a matching alternate universe that they then changed by removing Loki before the Dark World incident, which he was supposed to play a huge key part in, by killing their version of Nebula, by sending their version of Gamora off to have a good think before Guardians of the Galaxy in our 616 universe movies, not comics, and sending back Steve Rogers to return the Infinity Stones and play Havoc with Time and Space and return as Joe Biden, yet... We were told in Loki that there was only one prime timeline and every divergence was corrected and erased in order to preserve it. And bearing in mind that they will probably explain this in Ant-Man 3 Quantumania, but since they tried to explain it in Endgame and explain it in Loki, and those Ant-Man films can't make up their minds if a little car weighs as much as a big car, I don't trust the future elaborations to make any more sense than the explanations we've heard so far. I only trust Jesse. So, what was the multiverse oh, wow. then in Infinity War, and what is the multiverse now? What was Strange looking at, and why was it not a multiverse, or was it a multiverse? Sharon's got her hand so, up, but let Jesse go first. I'm sorry. Well, actually, I'm, I'm interested to hear what Sharon has to say. Okay. Pick me, teacher. Oh, pick so me! Um, <laughs> well, no, I was... It, it, it is possible, is it not, that given that Stephen was working with the Eye of Agamotto at that point, that he was seeing into a future where the multiverse had already been split, that it is possible he didn't necessarily know hmm. entirely what he was looking at, only that there were multiple options for how things could play out, but, and he could plant seeds to make right. it go in a particular so direction. So he was seeing versions of a multiverse prior to the, what are they called, the TLDRs? turning up and destroying that possible eventuality. And also, why wouldn't they destroy the one where... Well, no, 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 because what he's seeing past yep. is Loki splitting the multiverse. 
Right. So what we're effectively saying, if this Oh, is yeah, no, case, you're right, because technically Loki had already gone at the point when t- uh, he was like, wait, wait, wait. And then Tony had to yeah, snap his fingers. Because we know that the Eye of Agamotto can look at two different versions of the future of something because of the way he used it on the apple. Mm. It can look at the apple eaten right. and it can look at the apple rotted. Okay. So I have literally done exactly this in The Christmas Thieves with Merlin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, if he's if he's just looking at a future event, mm. then it makes sense that he would be able to see all possible future events. Yeah. How did his brain not explode? <laughs> Maybe it did. Maybe it did what happened to Lee Richards and just went spaghetti. Spaghetti. Okay, uh, Jesse, your thoughts, please. So, uh, yeah, so Sharon's not wrong. Um, There's there's two possibilities that, that we could use to look at this. One, that we could say that Doctor Strange is tapping into whatever force that uh, Immortus is using to view alternate realities and and potential possibilities when Immortus decides which timeline is the sacred one and what to change and what not to. Immortus Um, is the guy at the end of Loki who is uh, a variant of Kang the Conqueror. Yes, exactly. Um, Played wonderfully by Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. Um, The other possibility is, like Sharon said, that the, the thing about... The uh, the multiverse and the way that Loki ended, it didn't like branches didn't start in 2018 or 2020 or whenever that whenever the 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 break happened, whenever Immortus got killed. Once Immortus got killed, because that place is outside of time, the branches and the multiverse was essentially recreated from the beginning of time. So these things don't happen in order according to us. Like by the time that had already happened, like by the time we got to the end of Infinity War, Mm. everything had already been split. So the multiverse had already been created. Loki is weirdly rewatching it again. Mm. Um, It kind of lifts out of the MCU because, because it says really there is no multiverse. Oh, no, there is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the first episode, it says there is no multiverse. There's one timeline and we control it. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, no, now there's a multiverse again. <laughs> so effectively, then what you're saying is it transforms the uh, the multiverse into a stand of saplings rather than a single tree that branches after a certain point and then has multiple branches. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. heard the uh, the tree and the branches versus the orchard yeah. uh, regarding timelines versus multiple worlds. Mm. Which, considering yeah. that uh, in the Multiverse of Madness starts in an apple orchard mm. and they're messing around <laughs> with forbidden fruit. Yeah. So but, the other question you had asked about where, like, why didn't the TVA prune or where, where were they jumping to? In um, Avengers Endgame. Yeah, so the way that the way that I was able to rationalize this way way back um, was that a wizard did it. You know wrong. That when a like when they go back in time, mm. because you can't actually alter the timeline, like you can't alter your own past. So what happened was when they go back in time, it actually splits off and immediately creates a new universe, yeah. which presumably then would be pruned as soon as they left. Ha, back to the future rules. Yeah. Presumably it would, 
but actually it wouldn't. But. Because we now know that there's a multiverse. The, also, the multiverse had already been created yeah. by then. Yeah. Also, Loki hadn't... Um, it doesn't necessarily lift out. We need to see what happens in Quantumania and Loki because it does seem to suggest that multiverse bad, it's about to crash in on itself. What we need mm-hmm. is some kind of crisis. Yeah. Yep. The, the only one that doesn't make sense or that doesn't really work is the the universe that Steve ended up in. That when he went back... Because one of the things that they... One of the things that the Russo brothers said explicitly in an interview was that when Steve went back the final time and decided to stay, Mm. he existed. He lived his whole life in a parallel universe and then returned to 616 Movies Not Comics to give the shield back to Sam. So for some reason, it was decided, it was decreed, or maybe the multiverse had already been broken by that point Mm. um, that Steve could live in this timeline and we'll keep this one around until he goes back, and then we'll prune it yeah. or it, whatever. It, it, it fin- felt very much like a oh, a question for another time. <laughs> so Steve yeah. Rogers gets his own personal multiverse retirement home. Yeah. We'll deal with that <laughs> if we can get Chris Evans back. How about that? There we go. <laughs> Let's talk about this being manifestly a Sam Raimi joint. Are there any like hallmarks of if you were watching it and you didn't know it was Raimi, where you'd go, this feels a lot like one of his? Corrupting influence he's... of a bad book. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'd say the big thing is he's like cheesy side of like <laughs> effects. He's like the like, you know, it's become a thing, I guess, on film Twitter to complain about his like the way he he did uh, like transitions in this movie of just like inserting pictures into the screen and just like transitioning it slowly. I don't know what you call that, but uh, he just got like these really old school sensibilities and like all like the horror stuff. Someone murdering a violin in the background. <laughs> did you, is he killing that violin, Dad? Yes, son, he is. It's Danny Elfman doing his thing. I, I will note that uh, I really missed Michael Giacchino and uh, his the way that he'd mm-hmm. play that Doctor Strange theme on the sitar and the uh, harps and the harpsichord, just series oh. of instruments that just yeah. and the psychedelia of what he uh, made in that first film. I just, I can he please come back for the third one? I missed that him. was it's... that was that was missed, and I don't really notice music. Hmm. I, the one good music thing I would say that I picked up was uh, when they're introducing dreamwalking mm-hmm. and then they're like it cuts to like it's you know, also showing Wanda going through the ritual and there's like this electric guitar that slowly builds <laughs> into the mm. and I don't know I really like that bit. but other than that it's kind of forgettable yeah. and I, 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 if there is an actual theme to uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness I don't know it uh, but I can hum easily. That original score is one of my favorites of the entire MCU. I go back to it all the time when I'm working or writing, and I just need something in the background that'll get me going. Mm. And I love how uh, other composers have incorporated it into the just quietly, dun, 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 just to mm-hmm. bring him in when he's about to be visited in crossover films. So it's a great idea. 
Same as Another Captain America's very... theme plays. Except in when we went back and watched Infinity War recently, when Captain America turns up, it go rather than sorry, it's Steve Rogers now, he's the nomad. <laughs> rather than going da 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 it goes Dun, 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 dun. The Avengers are here. And it's like, no, they're not the Avengers. If anything, they're the opposite of the Avengers. Stark runs the Avengers. It's his <laughs> thing. This is Steve Rogers. Alan Silvestri, the man who created both themes. You should be able to tell the two apart. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, when Thor and Groot and Rocket turn up at the very end, well, near the very end, and just sort of like kick ass on the battlefield in Wakanda. It goes, duh, 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 duh. Two of these are Guardians of the Galaxy. One of them is Thor. <laughs> Both of them have multiple themes. Use any other one. They're not the Avengers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thor 1 by Patrick Doyle. <laughs> Thor 2 by Brian Tyler. Thor 3 by Mark Mothersborough. Guardians of the Galaxy by Brian Tyler. Groot's Theme by Brian Tyler. The Marvel Universe does not lack for catchy, exciting, emotionally engaging themes. What it lacks is bringing them back again. Another uh, very Raimi element of this. If like there, there's two that really jumped out at me, and that was the um the the villain being shown that they are the villain and then sacrificing themselves to make it right was I will very not die Spider-Man too. Don't tell yep, Harry. Exactly. And I love and then, you, Peter. <laughs> and then the hyperactive camera where yeah. it's just all over the place, which I I love. Mm. But yeah. having having the camera like zoom in around and invert and flip around yeah. during the action sequences just made me smile yeah it 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 almost feels wrong to just call this a sam raimi film because this is an evil dead film yeah like the, <laughs> the makeup looks exact like especially for mm-hmm. uh, the zombie steven looks ex- looks very similar to the the old yeah. dead eye makeup 
the the demon, like the I don't know what they were, the demons or spirits of souls death or whatever. Of the damned. The souls of the damned, that's what they were. They 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 act exactly like the deadites do. They're like, ah, you have trespassed on the laws of nature, Stephen <laughs> <laughs> See, now that you've rem- uh, reminded me of uh, Zombie Steve, I actually kind of wanted him to come back and re- remember compassion in that form. It would be even more twisted to have him, like, his jaw half hanging off and going, I wasn't there for you, Wonder. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> that way it would be heartwarming, sad, fucked up and creepy, but in a world where that's more normal? His strangeness could match Wanda's strangeness for a little. In the end, the compassion comes from America herself. Meaning Stephen doesn't need to have it, he just needs to delegate someone who does have it. Well, oh, speaking of America, uh, another little Sam Raimi touch. Grabbing a woman by all four of her limbs and then throwing her out like a starfish oh, and having her secured like that. That was fucking uncomfortable. Repeatedly. Yeah. And uh, when I finally show Willow Evil Dead 1, I've shown them Evil Dead 2 repeatedly, and they do like that. I'm actually, I am going to skip over that notorious scene, which even Sam Raimi's like, yeah, probably shouldn't have made it that intense. Because uh, yeah. I don't think it necessarily makes the movie better. No. I mean, I, I guess if it, count, it might count as a Raimiism is the, the nods to, like, the works of Lovecraft, basically. Mm-hmm. And... I mean that's kind of in here. Like the, the the Necronomicon is taken directly from from Lovecraft stories, and the Darkhold is the same book. It's yeah, the same yeah. book. It's just the same book. I think they call him Gargantos for reasons I don't understand. But Shumagorath shows up. Really Who is? I think it's so, so that they can bring Shumagorath in at some other point because they knew they were just going to butcher him. I Rip guess his so. fucking eyeball out. <laughs> Right. Also, it's but it's a lot harder to fit that on the on the the Lego box. Oh, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, but but that but he he's that, and he's very common to be a stand-in for mm. like Lovecraftian horror, specifically against Doctor Strange, because he's a, mm. a he's yeah he's all tentacle. He's a tentacle monster from parts unknown, mm. deep space, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Mount. I mean, even the title, kind of because. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness has a similar ring, at least the, in the Multiverse of Madness, has a similar ring to yeah. it as At the Mountains of Madness, which mm. is a famous Lovecraft story, which, uh, bring it back, Guillermo del Toro wanted to make, but never got to. Oh, yeah, he absolutely would. St- he still would love to do something uh, Lovecraftian, and as we've said in the past, the best thing about Lovecraft is that other creators can incorporate his themes into far less horrendously racist and uh, weirdly classist and technophobic works. Oh, he was a piece of work, but he had cool ideas. (laughs) Uh, So the cameos from the Illuminati, uh, I think I I was... I was hoping for an audience like I got for Spider-Man No Way Home because they were just like, (gasps) when Daredevil turned up and then they actually straight up cheered for Andrew Garfield and gasped and then roared appreciation for Tobey Maguire. This is why I can never, ever underestimate how important those Sam Raimi Spider-Man films are for everyone else. And frankly, being around a crowd that cared that much kind of got a little contact high from that. Like I get... Martin Scorsese's worry that modern day blockbusters are focus grouped into meaninglessness and he prizes the unexpected but I'd never felt more of a justification for watching cinema with everybody else than when we all shared Spider-Man No Way Home 
I think the only experiences that came close to that were when I saw Jurassic Park in 1993 and Titanic in 1998 and Endgame in 2019. Uh, the way Scorsese put it uh, was that modern film franchises are market researched and audience tested, vetted, modified, revetted, and remodified until they're ready for consumption, uh, and that they're everything that the films of Paul Thomas Anderson or Claire Dennis or Spike Lee or Ari Aster. Huh, oh, yes, to, or Catherine, let, just let him have it, or Catherine Bigelow, or Wes Anderson are not. Marvel films are what their films are not. And I can't think of a single film by any of those directors that I have seen in the cinema, the cinema, bear in mind, and felt my audience. I've definitely sat watching Wes Anderson films going, oh, I love this so much. Paul Thomas Anderson is a master craftsman. Every single one of his films that I saw in the cinema was one of my movies of the year. I watched Black Klansman by Spike Lee and I was so engaged, but my audience were on their fucking phones. They didn't care. What I'm talking about here is there is a difference between cinema and being in the cinema. And there is a difference between watching a film and sharing a film. And the act of sharing a film is kind of why we do School of Movies. And the audience for Multiverse of Madness this time were a lot less engaged. There was a lot more kind of uncomfortable shuffling in our seats. And when we watched it with Willow for the first time, they kept going, ah, every time a horrendous act of violence was meted out on someone they cared about by someone else they cared about. Mm -hmm. But I think on watching it you know, on repeated times, it they feel like incredibly shallow versions, like, like rotten versions of themselves. Like there's, yeah. there's no compassion in any of them. And the worst of all of these is, of course... Agent Carter. Captain Carter. Captain yeah. Carter. Just throw in that shield around just to get someone's attention. Unrecognisable in the captain role, but also unrecognisable as Peggy. Heartless because the story called for it. Oh, yeah. It feels like we wanted to include her, but then we didn't actually want to do any work. <laughs> Patrick Stewart coming out with a, little, a, a, a yeah. lovely little bit of music there. Thank you for that. <laughs> Been waiting for that for oh. a long time. And actually, yeah. he did have some compassion. He was like, you know... He did. He tried to, to help. Yeah. And it was like, Stephen, when you get out of Multiple here... Multiple times, like, well, yeah. What do you mean, when he gets out of here? I'm guarding him. Yeah, but come on. <laughs> and you've got to help Wanda. And I, he, he was acting on compassion, which makes it even worse that dark Wanda just straight up snaps that neck. This is the closest we've had to a therapist. Could you please yeah. not kill him? Oh, God, I know. The Black it's Bolt one, I think, probably got the most whispers in my crowd. It was like, who's that? He was in The Inhumans. I didn't see that. No, you shouldn't have. It was shit. No, <laughs> nobody did. Because <laughs> it was uh, bad. Uh, I got excited for that because I like Anson Mount because he's in Star Trek. Yeah. He's oh, doing such a... He's doing great work he's in so, Strange He's New so Worlds. good in that. Oh. I'm glad he went on to better things. Yes, he's he's done. He's he's found a better thing than being black. Mm -hmm. But I'm still like that they he showed up. 
just stand around and have his head explode. <laughs> yeah, that felt like a, a Kevin Feige having a, a, a last-minute pop at Ike Perlmutter. Okay, fucking tell me that Inhumans and no X-Men. Here you go. Definitely one of the best things about the showing that I went to see was that it was a it was a. a a relatively small audience just because of the nature mm. of the, the cinema that I went to see. It's this was the Everyman in sure. Lincoln, so yes, like super really luxury liked. sofas and things. Absolutely. And it was their big screen, but that's not really saying much in terms of big. Okay. Um, so <laughs> so I could intimate. See, yeah, I could see most of the people. But if you're around. relatively front-facing in an intimate screening, it is still actually bigger than being near the back in a massive screen. That's very true. But they have, like, they have smaller screens where it's like three rows of sofas and that's it. But yeah. this one was sort of maybe... 15 rows Mm. Um, but the audience was very varied in age and everybody seemed to be equally into what was going on on the screen which Mm. was nice but the best bit of it was that the the couple who was sat in front of me when it was going through the Illuminati cameos she kept turning to her boyfriend and explaining them to him as we went through (laughs) each one my audience was pretty into it I think the biggest pop was John Krasinski showing up as Mr. Fantastic which is funny I actually think that is the final nail in the coffin of that. I think by doing that, they're not going to bring him back when yeah. they actually do the movie. Yeah. That was a, there, he's Reed Richards. Are you happy now? And then they move on. And he seemed compassionate for Reed Richards. And I like John Krasinski well enough. But this whole sequence felt like meta-commentary on fan casting and speculation that he may as well have had in the background Daniel Radcliffe and Scott Eastwood as dueling Wolverines. And since the whole scene was played for laughs, it kind of detracts from all the personal drama that the film is supposed to be rooted in. In the same way that Evan Peters' stunt casting as other Quicksilver in WandaVision now feels a little confused when you watch it. Like it's a meta joke that the leading characters don't get. It's the equivalent of that bit in Uncharted when Tom Holland walks up the beach and says hello to Nolan North. And it's like, oh, see, he's Nathan Drake and he's Nathan Drake. Only it takes up a major dramatic part of this movie. It's not a gag, it's plot. It was nice to see Maria Rambeau back in action. She's more present on Earth than Carol is, which is the root of why I consider Carol's arc to at the moment be quite problematic she's just not here she's mommy who went out in 1995 to get cigarettes and when's she coming home and this whole thing was a nice little nod to the illuminati storyline in 616 comics not movies universe where reed stephen black bolt charles xavier tony stark and namor who was notable by his absence decide what to do about the infinity gems and to send the hulk into space so that he won't be there for civil war the hulk has mixed feelings about all this. And Marvel kind of disbanded the Illuminati fairly swiftly because, well, it kind of overemphasized that a lot of the leading heroes are complete authoritarian shits. I think it was Sharon in the Discord who had said, might have been somebody else, but somebody had said that uh, the Peggy Carter that we knew would never have joined this Illuminati. Yeah, so it had yeah. to be somebody different. So, which just basically made it feel like, well, this isn't Peggy at all. So mm-hmm. ultimately, it, it reminded me of, uh, you know, when the, the Justice League meet the Justice Lords or a bunch of asshole versions of them. And you're like, I honestly can't trace the line from this character I know who's got all of this pain and all of this compassion all the way up to yeah. this complete dick. Well, that's the other thing. When <laughs> you're talking about a multiverse of alternate timelines, there has to be something 
that changed in that person's history that set them on this particular path. Right. And if you can't see the join at all, then that starts to unravel a little bit. Yeah. Also, the whole thing is very guilty of, of the thing where sci-fi writers use multiverse and like, oh yeah, we're going to show this. And then they use that excuse to just kill off established characters because it doesn't matter because now they have a spare. And that's basically what happens to the Illuminati. Like, hey, here they are. And watch them die. Yeah. I mean, that didn't feel like Rick and Morty at all. Anyway, so... Uh... <laughs> so, you have a Doctor Strange sequel for me? Yes, sir, I do. It's going to be called Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, boy. I bet we're going to see some wacky multiverses. Oh, you know it, sir. Oh, man. Briefly. What? Glimpses of them for a minute or so. They're going to flash by. Oh, oh, okay. That's all right. Yeah, and then we're going to pretty much be in the same two, three universes for the whole thing. The person who can jump universes can't control her power. Oh, that's too bad. So who is this character? America. She got so scared of a bee that her mom's disappeared. Oh, I bet they disappeared 50% more in Saudi Arabia and China and the Philippines. Yeah, she and probably he did, sir. Oh, that sounds like a challenging localization edit. Actually, it was super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Oh, really? What? They're gone, sir. But, okay, but what about this America character? Tell me about her character development. I just did. Oh, all right. So what do we think of America Chavez? and her introduction to the MCU, given uh, that I've already said she wasn't massively characterized. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, she's very cool to have, but she she felt a little underwhelming. Like, in the comics, she's, like, this brash and in-your-face. Like, she's, like, the bold, big one of, like, the the Young Avengers because she's usually the most powerful. It's not just, like, the portal jumping. She usually also has, like, super strength and can fly and shoot lasers and shit. She's a little older in the comics, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I think she is. Seasoned. My absolute favorite description of America Chavez from the comics is that she's a paramedic for the multiverse. Now, there is a huge difference between a paramedic and a surgeon, which makes her an evolution of the Doctor Strange concept. So she exists right now in the MCU as potential. I liked what we got of her, and I'm really excited to see more of her in the MCU. Um, I'm, like like Chris said, I would like to see her be a little bit more powerful, but we're seeing this is effectively her origin story, and we're going to see her start to gain and develop her power and also apparently become a sorcerer. So that'll be an interesting... I'm, I'm curious how they're going to meld those two power sets. Did you just say interesting? Yeah. I did, but... I'm now going to chase you around the podcast with a bit of wood. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So America's gay, and Love I had you. to tell Willow afterwards, oh, she's a lesbian in the uh, comics, and, and Willow was like, great, why wasn't that in the movie? And I'm like, guess. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she's a she's a kid, but ultimately, kids realizing, oh hey, I've I, I have, my attraction doesn't necessarily lie in canon with the rest of the world. That's not new. That's not the sort of thing that doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. uh, having a little tiny pride pin on there, which you would blink and you'll miss it. It was nice, but it, again, it did feel like kind of the bare minimum. And a jacket that says "Love is Love" in Spanish, mm. which that was you can nice. completely ignore if you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> Neither does our Doctor Strange. So yeah, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. She's been, I mean, she looked around about maybe six, seven years old when the incident with the bee occurred. Mm. And she is now at least 16, 17. Mm. So that's a decade that she has been bouncing around in the multiverse. Quantum unable leaping, if you will. to put any roots down anywhere because she never knows when she's going to get kicked out. Hoping against hope that the next leap will, will be, be the, the leap, leap home. home. Yep, there is that. <laughs> um, but something that, that 
seems to have been dropped by the wayside in this exploration of Wanda is her effectively her status as a refugee she as a child her home is exploded by various assorted falling weaponry that originates with tony stark so she loses her home then her entire country gets picked up and dropped so she loses her home again Mm -hmm. and then the home that she builds for herself in a desperate attempt to try and heal some of this has to be dismantled by her and so she that that sense of never having anywhere that she can put down a base except with the odd person every now and again who keeps getting ripped unceremoniously away from her there's that's a discussion with you've got two women on screen with experiences that are not poles apart from each other and they never get to talk about any of it because this is a Stephen Strange movie and don't you forget it (laughs) (laughs) also uh, this has maybe the silliest of wait what Uh, and like final shots in a Marvel movie ever like Steve goes out into the street having done that and and, like he may as well have raindrops are falling on my head like I I did a good thing there America's now training Wanda's dead everything's fine I don't really feel the least bit bad about it cool and uh, his totem yeah his watch he's over Christine which is good because he could have you know ended reality uh, she, she, people were like I'm so glad Christine finally got to do stuff in this what does she get to do she gets to confirm that it's definitely 616 and make all the Marvel dudes go what and she gets to like she, kill she does get to teach uh, teach Stephen or not teach him because he was unconscious but she gets to prove that she knows how to use the artifact that he picked up to threaten uh, somebody with in the first Doctor Strange and they're like you don't even know how to use that and oh, the big pop down. thing yeah yeah, well, she uses that like a bazooka. That's kind of cool. Uh, again, I, I feel like uh, th- there's so many strong women going on in this film that to cut away to see Christine doing the bare minimum feels like a disservice to Christine as much as it is a disservice yeah. to other women. But yeah, so Steve's walking down the street in broad daylight in New York, and then he goes, oh my God, and then falls backwards screaming like a pig in a wall. And then grows a third eye on his head, and the entire audience can only ask one question, what? <laughs> That's something to do with the Darkhold or something or the other Doctor Strange or maybe he can pick up eyes from people now and this eye pops out and goes, my oh my, I'm an eye. Credits. And you're like, that is such a weird... And then like the, the mid-credits bit, he's now walking down the same street with a scarf on, a jaunty step and like, I'm fine now. Charlie's there on turns up as what Willow called purple woman and goes you're never going to believe this Stephen I got to take you to someone else and like honestly Steve would be like no no more hijinks for me I am on fucking vacation at this point you don't want me I'll only mess it up that's what he should say but instead like his eye opens up and he goes I'm an eye and then they jump into the thing And it's oh like, no, you want the Sorcerer Supreme. Wong is over there. I'm not sure what there. having a third eye... I mean, symbolically speaking, it's really good to have a but third eye. But the only individual that we have seen with a third eye was bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, this just... Ooh, Doctor St- Strange might be a bit corrupt and dangerous. And it's like, you've spent the whole movie... And a whole episode of What If telling me that Doctor Strange is a menace. Get me pictures of Doctor Strange! And now you're telling me that there's something slightly menacing and dangerous about him? Got a mustache. I know. So what the fuck with this end sequence? 
And like, honestly, Shirley Stone turned up, and it kind of made me think about uh, uh, the end of Eternals, uh, when mm. a guy turns up, and I would have moved into Sharon and gone, I don't know who that is. And then someone would have moved in and said, it's Harry Styles. I don't know who that is. He's playing Star Fox. <laughs> I know. I don't know who that is. And then Shirley Theron is playing Purple Woman. And I did not tie her up with the only version of Clear I've ever read in the comics, who was like Doctor Strange's girlfriend slash magical assistant. Mm-hmm. Isn't she Mordo's yeah. Do- Dormammu's daughter or something? She's Dormammu's niece. Niece. I don't know how. That I mean, the works. family resemblance is right weird. there. Her face is made of purple corduroy as well. So, oh, Jesus, I, I know just Clea is an established to character. I think what we're getting here is, I have spent we Sharon and I have spent so long paying really close attention to Marvel, not in a kind of an I understand that reference, but like a like really tracing the emotional storylines. And encouraging people to look beyond the fireworks shows to see the effort and craft that goes into the performances, the writing, the, the continuations of the stories, the narratives, and it kind of felt a little bit like watching somebody piss all that up against a wall which was annoying (laughs) it's still I don't hate it as a movie but it's it's getting hard to defend Marvel now when they toss out really good meat that they could be using and like sometimes it's like you know what We, we, we will save our meatier stories for TV and sometimes they get to the meat and then they go yeah but the whole of episode 6 is going to be just one big drawn out fight so just forget about it and it's like oh for god's sake when they call you shallow I'm the one who defends you Because they have had this huge chunk of time where they have had to lean so heavily on TV, Mm. which is, and I know the way they do it is not long, long form, but it is longer form than the movies that we're used to. Mm. And because they've done this whole, right, Netflix, what you were doing with the TV, we're just going to kind of push that into universe, what, 615? It's a pocket universe. It's a pocket universe. Um, but, but Like the Venomverse or the Morbiverse, yeah. if we can now call it that. <laughs> but that's, it's venoming way, time. The way it was set up before, we could watch that TV and go, but it really doesn't matter that this doesn't impact on the MCU as a whole. We could watch bits of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and go, but it really doesn't matter what happens with Coulson here because it isn't going on in the MCU. People are not aware of it. It's not having an impact. But now there is long-form TV that we can't disregard if we've seen it. And honestly, if they do Captain America 3 and all of that character development that's gone on with Sam and Bucky Mm. in uh, Captain America and the Falcon. No, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Soldier, If they disregard all of that and walk all of that back and have either of them have to do the same thing again... I'm going to be mad. And if they do uh, a follow-up to... Moon Knight? Moon Knight, thank you. My mind went totally You're having dreams about Oscar Isaac. I know, I know. (laughs) Rated R dreams. Maybe (laughs) NC-17. That does not need to be be public. Sometimes more than one Oscar Isaac. Hey, if Oscar Isaac listens to this podcast, I'm going to be really embarrassed. Um, I hope he does. (laughs) Hey, Oscar. (laughs) 
amazing. Uh, you'd do it. <laughs> I'd believe it. Smoldering Guatemalan heat. Indeed. Sorry, continue. <laughs> anyway, if they do a follow-up to Moon Knight... She's gone bright red. And, <laughs> just because I'm laughing. And it's hot in here. Especially now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, Chris Evans just said that. I will get this sentence out, for the moment uh-huh. of God. If they do a follow-up to Moon Knight and all of the character development gets warped back and we end up with Mark in a very similar situation to where he was at the beginning of the TV series, I will be pissed off. Mm. Because you can't do this TV now, insist that it is part of the MCU, and then go, except when it's inconvenient for us. Yeah, I'll give you that. Another question I've got here for the uh, the end of this show. The original Doctor Strange movie was released six years ago and... Have a guess. Sharon can see this number. How many films ago was Doctor Strange 1 not counting TV? Oh, oh dang. That's, it's a lot. It is uh, a lot. Seven? No, Higher. it's more than that. I want to say at least... I want to say 11? It's 14 films. 14, oh, That was around about the time that uh, the election happened. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It came it's, out around my birthday, ooh. 2016. Yeah. It feels weird when you think about it that way. I guess it's it's not. It, they kept him in your memory enough by having him just pop up in other people's movies mm. that that it. But like, yeah, he's gone through like a whole movie's worth of development just by popping up in other places. Oh, several movies worth. Yeah, I mean, like, especially if you consider his baseline to uh, to two that we got in here. But you get the impression that the idea of sequels has now changed at Marvel, uh, and it in fact may have changed a long while ago. When I mean, I don't think we've had a straight sequel technically since Iron Man two. Hmm. Because all everything in phase to like Iron Man three, Thor, the Dark World are all technically more sequels to Avengers than they yeah. are to the previous movies in their own series. Yeah, Elephant in the Room that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once came out between us seeing this the first time and us seeing it the <laughs> second time. And let me tell you, folks, once you've seen Everything Everywhere All at Once, you'll be like, now that is a fucking multiverse movie. This is a movie with one other world that's important and another, Mm -hmm. like a a side boss battle with... The the music (laughs) fight was lovely. I was just, I was grinning away at that thing. That was just... Oh, all all the action bits in this are great. I love the creativity in this. I mean, the... the, I love they give Wong a rope dart, but it's magic. Mm -hmm. And and the the cloak of... I love his new costume, too. Yeah. And the cloak of the damned at the end is an all timer thing. <laughs> I especially love how Benedict. Uh, sorry, <sighs> fucking out. Benedict. Yes, yes. Wong. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I especially like how Benedict Wong is uh, is so game to be in so many uh, Marvel movies. Kind of, like, he's almost like the Nick Fury of this uh, new era. Mm. Actually, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially in, in Shang Chi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But all that, like, he's connected with more stuff, frankly, than Nick Fury was because everything's gone crazy space magic. But when you've seen everything everywhere all at once. I don't want to overstate it, folks, but I'm going to say that's the uh, the film of the decade. And when I said that on uh, the Discord, people were like, no, 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 he means of the past 10 years. The, the, the 2020s have only just begun, Alex. And I went, no, no, no. Everything Everywhere All at Once is the film of the decade. And I look forward to, with bated breath, anything that even comes close. I, I really want films to reach for this high bar. It is magnificent. So watching mm-hmm. this again, you're like, eh, it's fine. It's not really a multiverse, though, is it? 
You got that one <laughs> sequence in the middle. Eh. I mean, it is, but it isn't, and it feels like it's really underachieving. But what I'm noticing more and more these days is that the original way of doing sequels was, hey, you like these characters back in that first movie. You're going to like him again when we bring him back again and get him to do something very similar, often saying the same things in this slightly cheaper, <laughs> less good movie. Is it plagiarism if you're doing it to your own source material? No, it's just hackneyed. <laughs> then Marvel changed the paradigm by uh, going, right, all of these films take place in the same universe and we've got this big meetup for all of these characters. We swear it'll be worth the wait. And after what? four years of waiting turned out it was and then they did lots and lots more of that but what we've now got is and i i i loathe to say this because i started work writing a multiverse in 2013 and it was a way of, of being able to write every different type of story i had in my head in a way that was connected and actually did feel prepared and meaningful so i was you know, going through this second way of doing things, which is hard and not many people do it. Even the great Terry Pratchett was like, these things are all happening on the disc world, but there aren't these big events that bring together <laughs> Rincewind and the Witches and the Watch. So I was striving towards the Marvel model. But then what's emerged in the recent times is brand recognition <laughs> equals <laughs> multiverse. So Viacom going, we own this and this and this, and you folks will recognize that. Plus, we've got access to the Iron Giant somehow. And oh. he turns up in fucking everything. And then they yeah. kind of trot out all of these <laughs> things and make it sort of a multiverse. But I can tell crowds are going to get real fucking sick of this real soon because it's just member berries, according to South Park. Or just like, look at this thing you remember the, like the droogs from Clockwork Orange are dancing in the crowd in Space Jam 2. Make of that what you will. Hey guys, have a dopamine mm -hmm. burst. The first one's free. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just wonder what's after this as a marketing thing. Because ultimately, the first one is kind of lazy. The third one is fucking lazy. The middle one takes effort. And it's effort that DC have not been prepared to put in. It's effort that Universal's Dark Universe, they were not prepared to put that in. It's definitely effort that fucking Sony are not prepared to put in. This it doesn't matter about all of those fucking stingers at the end of Morbius. That thing's going nowhere. <laughs> because if it doesn't translate to dollars immediately, they go, uh, No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Like, the, the only the only other people willing to put effort in is legendary with their monster verse. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed the Monsterverse is still going. Well done. It's it is mm. it is the second best cinematic universe. Yeah. And you don't take failure at the box office as any kind of dissuading element. You just you pick yourself up and you charge back in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get like her? <laughs> <laughs> or cartoon saloon? Whoa. We have made but ten Irish shillings on our last film. Carry on. Anybody would think you were in this business for the sheer joy of making movies, for God's sake. This would make most Hollywood execs go cross-eyed and go, I don't understand. <laughs> what, 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 how, what, what, you make it even though you're turning money into art that is enjoyed by ten people. I, don't, I, I feel like I feel like Legendary's answer to that is that that Hulk clip from uh, Ragnarok, but big monster. Yeah, 
Yes! <laughs> so I got an inkling we'll see Wanda again because Elizabeth Olsen's one of the greatest actors currently in the superhero game. Marvel have explained far more... Like, okay, folks, at, what, at the end of the Civil War comic, Captain America was assassinated by Sharon Carter. That was the one everyone was thinking was the... What was her name? The pawnbroker? Mm-hmm. Power broker. Power the broker. power broker. In... <laughs> Broker. I'm not going to give you much for this PlayStation, mate. Um. Oh, look, another example of a character I really like being inconsistent. Oh, right. Uh, she's, she was given a huge amount of power, though, but it corrupted her. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Another uh, one where it feels like we skipped a step. So. Yeah. And yes, another, where's the B in this one? Oh, we don't have time for B. You don't have time to flesh out this really good character? I think America Chavez knows where the B is. She's going to hunt that fucker down to get revenge for her moms or heterosexual parents, depending on region. Anyway, Sharon Carter, who really cared about Steve Rogers, was uh, manipulated into shooting him. Like, in the chest, on the spot, on the steps of Congress when he was about to go in for a trial. Or he was found guilty of of starting a civil war or something. Thank you, Captain. Pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now, but whatever. I have to show these videos. It's quiet by the state. Let's do it. And it turned out she was being manipulated by, uh, I think, their equivalent of Robert Redford. And uh, there was seemingly a uh, an abandoned plot line in Civil War, which, if you look very carefully, Sharon Carter does kind of manipulate events into sort of helping Zemo's cause. And it's like, ah, was Sharon actually um, a double agent there? And then they kind of just excise that as a storyline. But in the comics, she shoots Steve dead, and then he lies bleeding to death on the streets of, of uh, Congress, uh, on the steps, and then dies, and they bury him. And then as it turns out, she shot him with a special gun, which Sharon's got her head in her hands, that's oh God, my Sharon, yeah, not Sharon it's... Carter, which sends his soul into the netherworld, or something, going through microspace, which then allows him to come back and be put into a reanimated body of Captain America. So, like, they cheated their way out of a guy being shot dead in the chest and bleeding out, as opposed to, ah, I was wearing a bulletproof vest all along. This isn't what happened last week! Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us. This isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car. They always cheated like that in um, chapter plays. Ooh, yikes. Uh, Do what you need to do, Marvel. Just uh, try to make your reasoning not sound dumb. Which, unfortunately, means you can only really do that a few times before... In the words of a very regrettable internet presence, you actually kill death in your fiction. Like, if you, if you kind of cheat it that many times, like they're not dead, turns out they're alive, or they weren't evil and corrupt, turns out it was the book making all of their decisions for them. The way you do this kind of storyline is you manage the crimes of the corrupted person. You have them just completely right. take out everyone who tries to take them down, like in WandaVision, but not actually kill anyone. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you have her goal be, at the end of this, I am going to take the place of that other Wanda, and I will, I will have to kill her then. That is the one life I will take without guilt. And that's the one that America says, you don't want to do this. But in managing that, it allows her to then come back and be able to hang with the heroes again, rather than feeling like, I'm wanted... uh, For no other reason, Pizza Ball Wanda killed the Illuminati, according to her world. Like, she's going to be the most wanted criminal in space. Well, and that's the thing. She's got the the fucking Nova Core down on her head. (laughs) It's kind of given Marvel 
a, a get out of jail free card for all of this, because like you said, all they have to do, do now is pull that Wanda into this universe and say, I can't be there anymore because of the crimes I've committed. So now I'm good Wanda, but I'm going to be on your I'm, I'm going to be in your universe now. Oh, and here are my kids. There's the Flash and another one of me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, probably. But is that probably. better? <laughs> It could be. It's, like, it's, it's not it's, better. It's not better. <laughs> it's, it's always about the execution. So maybe it could be better. Well, they certainly executed her. Huh? No, they should. <laughs> hey, hey, it might be fine. Uh, I mean, Mordo might be able to speak to her once he gets out of that pit. Nice call on Mordo. I completely <laughs> forgot that. She was originally going to decapitate Mordo at the beginning yep. of the film, thus resolving wow. that whole there's too much magic in the world thing from the stinger at the end of Doctor Strange 1. So if you waited six years, it was going to be, oh, bloody hell, I wonder what Mordo's going to do next. Oh, die. Die, die yeah. is he apparently died. what he's going to do. So well done for not that doing was... that to Chiwetel Ejiofor, one of the greatest actors in the fucking world. Yeah, that was that. That definitely. I mean, as it is, they just like shrugged and abandoned the storyline. So that's mm-hmm. still disappointing. Yeah. I wish. I like going through this movie. I thought that this was going to be the part B of like, oh, Wanda falls to corruption for a reason. Then I'm like, maybe they'll bring Mordo back as mm. the villain piece, or or the the rumor was it was going to be Nightmare, the, another Doctor mm-hmm. Strange villain mm-hmm. who. Who they've effectively erased now because they're just like, yeah, dreams are just your visions of like a oh, multiverse. That's Whereas, mental. They, like, how many times have you yeah. dreamed of riding a purple snail down the street? And I know. Then you're, exactly. you, you have an argument with your father again, and then you can't get to the airport. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so there's no way that a version of me is not quite able to get to the airport and arguing with his dad that much. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm yeah, dreaming so of every version of me. I was me. just going to say, always it's trying to get to the versions airport. of you that, that it's always happening. That's some bullshit. Can also, I go to the like, universe where I'm hanging out with Oscar Isaac? I know my... <laughs> yes. I know I'll my... I'll bring you with me. As long as they remain NC-17. I know my kids exist because I dreamed them. I honestly wanted Strange to go, Oh, I'm convinced. <laughs> you dreamed them? <sighs> it, it was, it was I, I wish, yeah, I wish they hadn't codified that because it does make like you you can't even really argue with it because they both like both Strangers and America Chavez have now both confirmed that. Yeah, said, that like, they yeah, have dreams, dreams are just of, uh, inciting incidents. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when you when she says I dream of them every night, you mm. can't really do anything other than say, well, yeah, okay. Do you know I what guess, you also I have dreams about every there. night? Trauma that you couldn't resolve. You know, the having kids that then had to disappear. Like, her dreaming about her kids is absolutely exactly what I would spe- expect her to dream about. I wouldn't then immediately go, well, that's just a look into another world where they've got this very cuddly life. They're like, oh, my two boys. This schoolless life as well. Like, it, it makes sense in WandaVision because it's a little bit creepy. It's always a little bit off. But apparently in this world, this is a fully functioning family through the lens of Sam Raimi. And I'm like, that made me realize I've never seen a Sam Raimi film that's in the real world. Like, it's always super (laughs) heightened. I think The Gift, maybe, is probably the closest, which I keep lunch at. Yeah, even that is quite heightened. Yeah. It's it's very, like... Quick and the Dead, when uh, um, fucking Gene Hackman shoots his son dead in the street, he's like, ah, boy was mouthing off. It's like... Uh, Bayou Intense. uh, That was the phrase I was looking for. Bayou Intense. Bayou Gothic. Gothic. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, actually, also to get back to the the Sharon Carter thing, I couldn't remember his name. It's it's, 
the he she was hypnotized mm-hmm. by I believe it's Doctor Faustus. The ah, e- yes. uh, Sharon will love this. The evil psychiatrist. Ah, evil psychiatrist. Right, I've said it before, <laughs> and I will say it again. Somewhere in the MCU, trained psychologists are banging their head off the desk on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. Talking about Mordo actually keep like brought me back to and reminded me that Marvel keeps like missing opportunities to do to do buddy movies. Can you imagine oh, yeah. if if Mordo had come to Strange mm. about Wanda mm. and the two yeah. of them would have had to spend the movie putting aside their differences and learning to work together to yeah. to, to to solve this problem and to defeat her somehow? Mm. Absolutely, as I said before, the uh, um, the Thor: The Dark World that everyone has, yeah. you know, sticks at the bottom of the list should absolutely have been a road movie with Thor and Loki, mm-hmm. kind of arguing their way through and, and sorting out a lot of family grief. Yeah, best bits yeah. of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the buddy movie bits. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they've got these fantastic personalities. Use it, although. Like him and, and America did have a nice little rapport. It's just that she was screaming That's a lot true. and being pursued by demons right. and being grabbed by branches and spread eagled. So, yeah. Doctor Strange is weirdly good with kids. Yeah. It seems like between, between this and the Spider Man movie. Yeah, the uh, I think just kids like seeing other kids be like sass talking to him. I was gonna say I don't think it's necessarily that he's good with kids, but it's like that thing where the person who does not like cats at all mm. gets swamped by all the cats when they walk into the house. Yeah. The kids are like, yep. you hate kids, and therefore you won't treat us like little tiny. People and patronizers, yeah. we're going to come hang out with you. America should have said, "Oh, McDonald's, McDonald's," and Stephen would be like, "No, black coffee. That's all we're getting." <laughs> and burgers at home. <laughs> <laughs> should have eaten before we left. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's I think that's it. A very ram- oh, a very rambly way of talking about Doctor Strange. <laughs> well, they started it. But like I said, I've had that on my brain for all this time. And like you actually told me yesterday, I need to stop watching Multiverse of Madness now. Mm, yeah. I feel like I'm going to flatten out my feelings on it and I want to still care. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think I successfully yeah. managed. That is a problem for, for us sometimes. Like if, if we watch something not enough, we might actually misinterpret it or we might... Like our reading might be flawed because we haven't really got brought our A game. Mm-hmm. But if we watch it too much... We almost, yeah. like, we don't feel quite so intensely about it anymore. Absolutely. And I have... And we don't want to be too blasé, you know. I have also discovered that I have to not start looking into fanfic for particular movies or TV shows until after we've done the show, because <laughs> I my brain starts getting a little bit confused. Like, did yeah. that happen? Or was that just in a story? You especially shouldn't be reading Moon Knight slash fic before bed. So... <laughs> Or should you? <laughs> or should you? Sweet dreams of yourself in alternate universes. Hey! Anyway. Why did I start this line of You brought that one to the oh, table. No, it's I juicy. I, okay. Right. So before we go, uh, can you folks um, <laughs> tell everyone at home where they can find your best stuff on the internet? Start with Jesse. Uh, yeah, you can find me on several episodes of this show. Um, I also produce or produced my own podcast all about time travel and how it's being used in media called Recorded Tomorrow, um, which you can find wherever podcasts are sold or uh, on Twitter. My personal stuff is at the Dapper DM and the Recorded Tomorrow stuff is at Time Travel Pod. And Chris? 
so yeah, I don't really do much of this stuff outside of. Uh, so you can find me on like two other episodes of this show, and on the <laughs> Discord talking a lot. Uh, so I'll just pimp my uh, my best friend Doc Hobbs podcast again. Uh, what the shell? If you ever want to know anything about hacking, but you don't know anything about computers, uh, that's the damn. Best I thing. thought that was a turt's show. Stuff. I was going to tune into Ninja Turtle Talk twenty four seven. But yeah, no hacking. <laughs> So, what the shell podcast? Cool. Okay. And I can personally vouch for both recorded tomorrow and what the shell. They are mm. both great listens. Give them a give them a go if you haven't yeah. already. Next week, because Thor: uh, Love and Thunder is just on the horizon, we've got uh, Taika Waititi Four Film Festival, which is Boy, Ooh. Eagle versus Shark. Mm-hmm. Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit. We're going to be talking about the lost Ooh. boys and lost men who keep turning up in his personal works. Statistically speaking, almost all of you won't have seen at least one of these. I would say listen to our show in its entirety anyway. It will give you insight when you do get to watch them. And all of them are definitely worth seeing. It's a fascinating episode. I really, really like it. I have a feeling it's going to be Hunter and Amy from the uh, Two Shrinks Pod's favorite episode this year, including (laughs) the episode they were on where we talked about Analyze This. That's coming up later this year, folks. Uh, And then we will be talking about Thor Love and Thunder fairly soon after that. We're also going to be doing an Obi-Wan show. You want to talk about making things sad and quiet. I got a lot of tasty, sad, quiet, and nourishing Obi-Wan there. That yeah. show surprised the hell out of me by it being as good so as it was. It was so good. Yeah. So good. So, yeah, and we'll be Disney talking about that good. in the next few weeks as well. And uh, I think that'll be do for now. Uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And magic school's out. Dormammu, I've come to bargain, and I've brought your niece, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that one. My oh my, it is an eye. What does that mean? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Oh, I hope I hope Oscar likes this episode. <laughs> Oscar, if you're out there, get Chris Evans to start listening. Okay. What? We've broken Sharon at the last minute. We've broken yes! Sharon. It's just the heat. It's so hot in this place. It is. My uh, my tattoo just steamed off. <laughs> okay. This episode ran long, and if you're on our Patreon at the $5 level or higher, then this weekend you can download the Deleted Scenes podcast with over an hour of material and rambling and silliness that didn't quite make Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the Rage Cage season. I call it Doctor Nick and the Cage of Madness. Here's a clip. Number eight, why did Stephen (laughs) curse pizza popper to punch himself for weeks on end punishment for wanting to be paid for his wares and also for defending the honor of his universe's doctor strange by squirting mustard on this heavy-handed impersonator now obviously meta reasons it's bruce campbell and we love seeing him hurt himself real reasons doctor strange is fucking crazy (laughs) that's so cruel Number nine, nobody noticed or mentioned the mini armrest. The metal armrest in the middle of the bench outside the Sanctum Sanctorum in the glorious green spaces of Pizza Ball World. I somehow doubt that putting aggressive design 
used to deter the homeless from having a comfortable place to sleep in urban centers was intentional as a subtle way of showing that this particular utopia was being oppressively oversteered by the Illuminati, who we're just about to meet. But if you want to show social inequality and how fucking unfair the world is, all you have to do is start shooting in a major city with no particular agenda, and you will catch it by accident in minutes. The magical flame of School of Movies is kept burning by Patreon. Thank you once again to everyone who chips in every month. And another massive thank you to our top tier sponsors. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer. Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hayo, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. like made her kids up or something? She had, yeah. Can't she just do that again? No. And I guess she wants to go see Vision too, huh? No. Why not? Because. Can't she work with America to find a universe where the Wanda's dead but the kids are alive? No. Why not? So the movie can happen. All right, well, it seems like this is happening. It is. It is.